Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Some of the verses in this particular passage, and as we read, you probably recognize it's even difficult to read. I had to back up and redo it a time or two because of the difficulty of of the old English. So let's take a look and see what some of them have to say. I want to begin with asking you a question. The question is, what's it going to take for you to get to heaven? And we can have a whole lot of answers. But there's one that I'm after. I don't know if any of you would mention it, so I'm not going to ask for a response. But I want you to answer in your own mind and heart, what's it going to take for you to get to heaven? And I'm going to answer it probably in a way that will be somewhat startling to you. And what I'm going to say is you're going to have to be perfect to get to heaven. Well, that may be eliminate the most of us. But that's what the scripture has to say. Matter of fact, I think that, if, depending on how you look at that phrase, it eliminates all of us. Because we can all see, as we begin to look at ourselves, that we're far from perfect. Now, this is one of the tragedies that we have when we're dealing with each other. You see, we expect everybody else to be perfect, according to our own standard. For perfection, to me, is to be like I want you to be. And if you don't measure up to my standards, you ain't going to make it. And I know better English than that. I use that for emphasis. I hope you know. But really and truly, the scripture requires perfection. And identifies the fact that we've got to be perfect. And that's why it's absolutely important that we understand that we can't get to heaven on our works, on our goodness, on our morality, on the life that we live. We all must confess imperfection continually, continually. We can't achieve a state of perfection on our own. And because we cannot... And because the Old Testament process of sacrificing animals also could not make one perfect, there had to be some way for perfection to come about. We're commanded in Matthew 5.48 to be perfect. The scripture says, Be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now those are Jesus' words. Well, he's given us a pretty tall assignment. How are we going to achieve it? Now, we can go to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18, and we have a verse that says, that which is born of God does not sin. And I have had a few people say to me, well, now that I'm saved, I'm perfect. I no longer sin. And that's not what that verse says at all. It does say that that which is born, T-H-A-T, 
that which is born of God does not sin. What is born of God? It's the soul. When Jesus died on the cross and our sins were covered up by his blood, he gave to us a state of perfection. That is, he gave to us a life that is acceptable to God. A life that is acceptable. A soul that is acceptable. I didn't say body. Now I'm going to say something about the body in just a moment. But first of all, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ... We come to give him our soul. He came to save the soul, to make it acceptable to God by what he did. But we're still living in the body. But do you know that you're going to get a perfect body? When the body comes out of the grave, it'll be perfect. On the day of resurrection, we'll have a perfect soul and a perfect body that will be reunited, and in body, we will walk into the presence of God in a state of perfection. No imperfections at that point. And it was given to us both a soul and a body that are perfect. You see, our soul does not sin. It's our physical that continues to sin. All right. What's that got to do with any of this? If you will look at verse 1, I'm going to pick out four words. Five. Five. And it summarizes verse 1. Now look for the words in the first line, the word law. Go down till you can find can never. Go down till you find the word make, almost to the end, fifth word back from the end, and the last word perfect. Five words. And that summarizes this verse. What does it say? The law can never make perfect. That's what we've been saying week after week in dealing with this whole subject in Hebrews that is why God did away with the Old Testament process of sacrifices because it could not make a person acceptable to God. Couldn't do it. All right, look at verse 2. If it were possible for the law to make a person acceptable to God, that is the process of sacrifices, that is if we could continue even today to bring our sacrifice and have it offered at an altar by a priest like they did in the Old Testament days, if that had been possible to make perfection, God would never have changed it. Had it been possible for a person to bring a lamb, suppose this morning when you came to church, you went out behind your house into the, into the corral and you got your perfect lamb. 
and you put a string around its neck and you led it down here to the church and somebody who would have been a priest and it wouldn't have been me because I don't belong to the tribe that started out with, uh, with Aaron and his son. I'm not a, one of those guys, so I couldn't have done it. That's what the law required. We would have all brought our little lambs in, and they would have been killed, and then a high priest from this same tribe would have done the process of taking our, the blood that we offered in our lamb and, and going back behind the curtain and making the sacrifice. All that did was cover up sin for a while. It never saved. Now I want you to understand this. The Old Testament law did not save anybody. Because when Jesus died on the cross and went to hell, we're going to talk about this uh, down in verse 4 here very quickly. He went to hell for the purpose of dying from, for everybody from Adam on. Adam and Abraham and David and Samuel and all of the people of the Old Testament had never yet got to heaven. Never yet. They were in somewhat limbo. They were in a place called paradise. Paradise is not heaven. Paradise was a holding pattern. A place where people would go until Jesus died on the cross and until his blood covered their sins just as well. See, Abraham wasn't even saved till Christ died. Have you, have you thought of that? Here we have people today in our world who sit in our congregation on Sunday mornings time after time who are rejecting the blood of Jesus Christ as if it meant nothing. But Abraham himself could not be saved until Christ died for his sins. Now Abraham was a righteous man, but he hadn't made it to heaven yet. And he could not make it to heaven until Jesus died and his blood was shed for Abraham's sins as well. And Abraham accepted that sacrifice for his own sin. Just like we have to accept the sacrifice for our sin. So there they were in a pretty nice place. But it wasn't heaven. The law, the Old Testament process, look at verse 2, would not have been ceased to be offered had it been workable. Look at it, what it says. The worshipers once purged should have had no more consciousness of sin. If the sacrifice of the Old Testament would have worked, the worshiper would have ceased to be conscious of his sin. That is, the sin would have been destroyed. But you see, the Old Testament process was you came back again and again and again because you remembered you were a sinner. Your sins were still there. You were still conscious of them. If a person in the Old Testament committed a sin, it was not washed away. Get this, it was not washed away by the sacrifice of the Lamb. The sin still was there, and when he came back the next year, he still remembered that sin. And it piled up and piled up and piled up. 
They were never washed away. And they came back with a guilty feeling. The word conscious of sin means feeling the guilt of the sin. Now listen, if you feel the guilt of your past sins, you're living under the Old Testament process which no longer exists. Once your sins and my sins have been forgiven, they are completely covered and washed away and will never be remembered again by God. I don't have to worry about last week's sin if I ask forgiveness for it because it was forgiven and forgotten. But that wasn't true in the Old Testament days. They remembered them. Verse 3 says exactly that. There is a remembrance again made of sin every year. A remembrance made again every year. We should not dwell on our past sins once we have come to Jesus Christ and begged his forgiveness, for they are gone. And why waste our time thinking about what we once did if we went to God and talked to him about it? He's going to have to say, I don't know what you're talking about. Because he has already forgotten, or he already forgave. See, this is what God can do that man can't do. God can forget. You and I have trouble doing that, don't we? God does forget. Forgets our sins. Verse 4, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. And that was the reason I made reference to Abraham not being saved until Jesus died on the cross because of the blood of bulls and goats and other things could not take away sin. It simply was a means of God overlooking sin until the sacrifice of Christ came along. All right. Verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, that is, when Jesus comes into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings, thou wouldest not, which simply means, Sacrifice and offerings you do not desire. Deuteronomy 10.12 says, Now Israel... What doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God and to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I have commanded thee this day for thy good. What does the Lord require? Bulls and lambs and goats as sacrifices? No. What the Lord requires is to fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, and to love him. That's what he wants. Verse 6 says that he does not delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, and for sin thou hast had no pleasure. I want to go back to Psalm 51.
When I thought I had it marked, so I'll have to leave for it. So you can do the same while I'm doing it. Psalm 51. A very important verse. Verse 16 and 17. For thou desirest, referring of God, Psalm 51, 16, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. This is David talking. God, you don't want to sacrifice. If you wanted to sacrifice, I'd give it. Thou dost not delight in burnt offerings. If you wanted a burnt offering, I would do it. What does the Lord want? Look at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. You want to sacrifice to God. You want to make him uh, give you attention in your worship. Don't bring offerings. Don't believe that you can come to church and put money in the offering plate and God's going to look down with pleasure upon you. Don't believe that just coming to, to church gets his attention and he's going to say, my, what a marvelous, wonderful person I have down there. If you want to get God's attention... It's going to be through a broken spirit. That is a change in attitude. Not haughty, not proud, not boastful of what we are and who we are. But our spirit ought to be broken. There ought to be more tears shed by Christian people than anybody else in the world. That demonstrates that we are sorry for the miserable life that we've lived and are begging God to forgive us of our sin and we're going to promise Him we're going to do better. And we don't do better. And we ought to come back with more tears until we get ourselves to the place that our spirit is broken. There are too many people whose spirits have not been broken in the presence of God. It's fine to be uh, proud and upright and all of those things, but when it comes to our relationship to God, we ought to see ourselves as nothing but miserableness. Nothing but absolute worthlessness. And until we see ourselves in that kind of condition, our relationship to God can't be what it ought to be. Because God wants to see people who will be on their knees in front of Him. And oftentimes we're not there. We don't have broken hearts. How much time do we spend in, in prayer and weeping at the same time because we see ourselves as nothing but sinfulness in the presence of God. All right, let's go on. Verse 7 just makes a statement that I'll pass over quickly, but it's an important statement. And I'll just give you the, the essence of it again. And He says, I came, referring to Jesus, to do the will of God. That was the purpose of the Lord coming. We'll pass that over now. Let's go on to verse 9, for lack of time. Verse 9 said that he did away with the Old Testament processes and sacrifices in order that he could establish the second and a better way. He takes away the first that he might establish the second. In first reading of that, it doesn't make sense, but he's talking about doing away with the Old Testament process of sacrifices and establishing a new process. 
Verse 10 is the important verse now. By the which will, here's where I stumbled, will, testament, testimony, by the will of God, we could well say, by the new covenant, we are sanctified. Remember I said earlier that uh, requirement for getting into heaven is perfection? That's exactly what the word sanctified means, or we could make state it another way. We are made acceptable to God. Holy is a good word. We are made holy, which means acceptable to God. And that's what the word sanctify means. Sometimes churches have dwelt on that word, and there are a few churches that talk about being sanctified, and what they're saying is, you have reached a state in your life when nobody can touch you. You're just head and shoulders above anybody else. You're holy, you're, you're, you're so great and so moral and so upright, and everybody ought to look up to you. Listen, when a person gets into that state, he's on the bottom of the pile. Sanctified is something that God does. That is, he did it through Jesus Christ. When Christ died on the cross, he did something to sanctify us, which means he did something to make us acceptable to God. You're sanctified if God has accepted you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been accepted. You were acceptable. What made you acceptable? You were given a state of holiness by the power of God through Christ on the cross. We've got it. So let's be careful when somebody says, if somebody asks you, are you sanctified? You say, absolutely, I'm sanctified. And you're exactly right. Sure you're sanctified, not in the terms they're talking about. Have you reached this in your life? No, listen, if, if you think that you have reached a state in your life that you're physically sanctified, you have risen, you know, you don't walk on the floor, you walk above it. Brother, you're ready for a fall. The Lord's going to bring you down. Nobody's going to stand up there. Jesus Christ, by his will, by his New Testament, the new covenant that he established, made us sanctified, how? Through the offering of the, the body of Jesus Christ. That's how... And I cannot help but mention, and I, we have done it over and over again, and the words keep coming up throughout all the book of Hebrews, once for all, once for all. You just see it over and over and over again, once for all. Not a second time or anything else, just once for all. God did it in Jesus Christ, made one sacrifice once for all. He made us acceptable to him. And all we have to do is believe, trust, receive, accept that which was done for us. Then, of course, after we've done that, then there's the process of living the life that we have claimed that we receive, and that's, that's a totally different subject. Okay. Verse 11. Every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, but notice the last phrase, which can never take 
away sin. See, I told you Abraham couldn't be saved even by all his sacrifices. It couldn't take away sin. But, verse 12, but this man, that is Jesus, but Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice, there again, we got the, the, the one, for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of the Father. He offered sacrifices for sin and he sat down because the process was finished. And I preached on that sitting down one time, so we'll not, we'll not go over it again. Verse 13. From henceforth, we are expecting, uh, from, uh, that is, not we, from henceforth expecting, that is Jesus, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Jesus is looking forward to, that's what the word expecting means, looking forward until the time that God makes his enemies his footstool, until Jesus becomes supreme. He finished the job that he was given to do. He is set down on the right hand of the Father. There's where he will be until the end of time when this world has been fully and completely subdued. And he is indeed Lord of this whole world. Verse 14, for by one offering, again the one thing, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. We said we were sanctified, that is made acceptable to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has made one offering that has perfected us, our soul now and our body eventually, forever. Verse 15, the Holy Ghost is a witness to this. Now listen, you can't get a better witness on the witness stand than the Holy Ghost. Jeremiah 31, 33. An important verse in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. In the Old Testament days, they were very prone to write the law where it was visible. I talked about this some weeks back. They would write it on their foreheads on their coat sleeves, across the mantle of their houses. It was an external evidence of what they believed. But God is saying the day is coming when it's not going to be an external uh, testimony. It's going to come out of the heart. He is going to write the law on the heart. Now, we said we were saved by the blood of Christ and we were made perfect we are eternally saved. And then someone say, but what about your living it? Listen, if the Lord Jesus is in the heart, the kind of life we live surely is going to be a, a revelation of what he is and who he is to us. 
It is difficult for the devil and the Lord. Matter of fact, it's impossible for the devil and the Lord to come out of the same person. The devil and the Lord cannot live in the same heart. Now we either belong to the Lord or we belong to the devil and there's no in-between ground. The real person will eventually surface. Now in between times until we fully surface we're going to have lots of struggles and we're not going to be doing what we ought to do. We're going to slip and fall and falter and every one of us do it because the devil's on the sidelines prodding and pushing and urging and discouraging and doing all the things that need to be done to get us back under his control. Don't you think that the devil has given up on you when you become a Christian? The devil has just begun to work when you become a Christian. He doesn't have to work on the lost. He's already got them. He's going to work on the saved. I can't believe some of the things I do after I've done them and look back on it. How was it possible that I did such a thing? I'll tell you how it was possible. The devil got to me. That doesn't mean that I belong to the devil. That means he is still exerting a tremendous influence over me. But I tell you what, the real person will surface. If Jesus Christ is in your heart and mine, we're going to see him be victorious in the long run. We're not going to live for the devil. We're going to live for Christ, even though we go through all the struggles of trying to overcome the devil, get him out of our lives. Because the law of God is going to be written not externally where the world can see it. The law of God is going to be written on the heart. The heart has been changed. and The world's going to know it eventually. The scripture says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Verse 17. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. You know that, to me, is one of the sweetest verses in all the scripture. I've already made reference to it. My sins and my iniquities, when I ask for forgiveness, are gone. And God will remember them no more. Verse 18. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. I, I hate to keep reading these verses over and over and say the same thing, but he put them in there for a reason. When we have been forgiven of our sin, you can't get forgiven of that sin again. Because there is no sacrifice to cover it. You already got it once. You can't get it again. The same sin. It's gone. There's no more offering for sin. If we could ever come to the point in time when people in this world would understand that there's only one way into heaven. Only one sacrifice that is made. Only one blood offering. And it was done on Calvary. I don't think we'll ever get to that point because the scripture says that
things are going to go worse and worse. There are going to be fewer and fewer people saved. As years go on. Because the devil is going to work harder and harder to, to get them. We've seen casualties in our own midst. People who hear the gospel and never respond. And I tell you, there are people who are sitting in our congregation over and over and over again that will go to hell. They're not going to respond and say yes to the one sacrifice, although they hear it continually. And that's a tragedy, but that's reality. We're all saved here tonight, no doubt. Thank God we are. We're all saved by one process, not many processes, just one process. One sacrifice, one blood. Only one way of salvation. If every one of us are on our way to heaven tonight, it's because we're going on the same road, we walk the same path. And that's the same path that Jesus walked. If we're not on that path, we're not on the way to heaven. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.